Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining me today is Corey Leff, the author of John Wall Street Newsletter on Sports Illustrated. Corey, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome aboard. You, you've become a key influencer at the intersection of sports and, and business, and we're going to dive in today on how you built your brand from scratch, the value of community that you've built, and hopefully share some tips uh, and insights for our listeners. Sure. Um, as we li- as we record this in late April, we're still in the middle of COVID-19, and uh, I figured we should really just start big picture, and from a sports business content perspective, just how bad is it from somebody who's talking to uh, dozens of sports media execs on a weekly basis? Uh, well, it's not good. Um, you know, I think we're seeing, you know, people get laid off all over the place. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that it's going to get better anytime soon because even once the games get started, uh, the av- the advertising revenues aren't going to be there. And most of these businesses are built on advertising. So I think it's going to be a struggle for a while. So play out. Um, you know, and, and I think for our listeners, uh, you have an awesome daily newsletter where you dive deep, right? So today was on MLS and what's going on there. Um, and you do it from a number of different perspectives, from the business perspective. Um, I, I've just been really impressed with the access that you get. Um, you've got, for context, would love to just share a little bit from your perspective of who your audience is, if you could describe that for our listeners. Yeah, so you know the the reason I'm able to get such good perspective is because I have a, a really influential readership base, um, and I've been able to turn those readers into into contacts and into uh, into mentors and, and, and personal relationships, and uh, and I've been able to leverage those relationships for insights, and, and and certainly made the content that I'm putting out better. It becomes very cyclical. So. Fast forward, not going to hold you to this because obviously no one knows what the future holds here, but with all the uncertainty around the live sports, what are the things that you're hearing right now that from a business perspective have you kind of shaking your head as you look at the different sports entities over the next three, six, nine months? You're talking about properties that that are promising or properties that are in trouble? Either one. Take your pick. Um, I think on the positive side, you're seeing, uh, you know, you're seeing trends, right? You're seeing mobile fitness. You're seeing, uh, you know, a lot of the. Uh, sorry, that's my three-year-old in the background. <laughs> Excuse me. Let's, let's jo- have Hold her on. join. Yes, yeah, this is uh, this is work from home. <laughs> um, you know, I think from the from a. From a, a trend standpoint, you're seeing things like mobile fitness are doing are well. Esports, um, I think you're going to see a lot of the more like social viewing type of, of technologies be uh, you know come out of this particularly strong. Um, on the on the on the other hand, any sport league that relies on in person attendance is in trouble. Uh, the story I'm writing for tomorrow. Uh, is about minor league baseball. Minor league baseball is going to agree to basically pull the affiliation from 42 clubs and, and knock the number from 160 down to 120. And you know, one of the things I commented in the story was that it became an easier decision. I mean, this 
just two, three, four months ago was a, a you know, no yeah. way in hell was was major league was minor league baseball going to agree to this, and and now uh, they're going to agree to it partially because they've lost all the leverage that they have uh, with coronavirus um, basically ending their season before it even got started, um, but. Yeah, I mean, teams were going to probably, you know, fold anyway. becomes easier to contract them under that circumstance. What What are some of the more um, rich conversations that you're having with the movers and shakers, uh, the media execs that you talk to, or the sports teams and leagues, as to how this pandemic is reshaping the digital media landscape? Uh, that's a good question. I think, you know, I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago um, where I think you're going to see teams, leagues rely more heavily on technology to to recoup some of the revenues because, uh, as we mentioned, the advertising revenues are probably going to be down, the advertising sponsorship, certainly ticket sales uh, on the year. But even when the games restart again, uh, who knows if there'll be social distancing where we'll have to be talking about, you know, sitting every other seat or whatnot. So you're these teams and leagues are going to have to try to offset some revenues, and I think there's an opportunity to do that. Uh, I mentioned, you know, some social viewing, gamification, and that kind of stuff. Um, certainly, the you know, gambling as you know, specifically you know, as it relates to the RSNs, is probably going to become more prevalent. Um, you know, as, especially as, as you know, local rights are returned uh, for sports like baseball and such. So I, I think um, it's a lot of the a lot of the the upside here is going to be in the technology front. Yeah, it's interesting. You and I talked about this, um, not on a podcast, but I think the things I'm hearing are that it, I think there's this perception out there because many sports fans are consuming on Twitter, right? The uh, the old famous cliche now of the the world's best sports bar and other platforms where their fans are congregating in insatiable appetite for content. It's still, if you follow the money, even in the year 2020, I'm surprised that the big sports media networks still, both from a financial standpoint and a mindshare at the C-suite level, digital was still second fiddle to television. It just was, right? All the money was going into the television rights, and yes, certain leagues like the NBA exploit them better than others, um, but it it's like this generational thing of like TV was king, right? And I, I feel that the conversations I'm having with sports media executives are saying, the top level is working at home with, you know, on Zoom, like everyone else, and, and consuming digital media content in a way that they haven't before. And it's actually changing the dialogue at the, at the highest level. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, you know, and even this weekend with the NFL draft. I think a lot of people are looking at that as kind of a, as a key highlight of how are they going to cover it. Yeah, no, you're, you're 100% right. You know, these leagues have kind of gotten fat on TV rights. Um, they're so profitable, you know, especially a league like the NFL or NBA. They don't really need to invest in digital. They haven't. Um, and, you know, I mentioned in that story that I wrote a couple weeks back that the perspective from ownership has always been like, well, what's the ROI? Yeah. And uh, that's probably not the best way to look at, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a brand new technology or uh, a new strategy. I mean, it's kind of the long play here. Um, if you're thinking about it in terms of an ROI, um, you know, you're not going to be motivated right now. There's just not a ton of money in digital relative to, you know, the traditional platform. So, uh, yeah, I think that you're 100% right. Like, I think this kind of pushes that trend a little bit forward, but it's not coming overnight, right? Like, we know that at least for the next cycle, 
meteorites are going to be huge. And so, you know, expect, expect people to continue to put most of their eggs in that basket. Well, let's, let's pivot to you because you've built up a brand yourself. Uh, it's impressive what you've done. And I think this is something that spans beyond sports in terms of the practices that you've uh, invoked here. So if you look at John Wall Street, the brand you built, acquired by Sports Illustrated last year in 2019, we mentioned in the open, you've got a daily e-newsletter that dives deep into one topic with access to the top names in the sports and media landscape. And it's, it's really impressive what you've built. Uh, and you've got great credibility in the marketplace. Uh, and you came into a space that there were other people and other entrants there. So uh, you've got quite a great reputation that you've built in a relatively short amount of time. And so give us the backstory. How did this come to be? Yeah, so John Wall Street is kind of a culmination of, of who I am. Uh, I started my career in sports talk. I spent a whole bunch of time in the startup space. I spent time in equity research, and I kind of just pulled everything I knew in terms of sports, business, and finance together and started to cover the business and finance side of sports. Um, yes, there were people in the space that, uh, you know, sports, I didn't I didn't create the kind of sports business, certainly. Is it me? Uh, that's yeah, it's okay. You're good. Okay. No, okay. Um, so yes, there were people in the space, but there was nobody playing at the highest kind of end of the space. Right. Um, you had companies like you had a front office sports, uh, you know, kind of playing at the bottom of, of the, of the barrel, uh, or, or bottom level, uh, you know, targeting kids in college and just out of school looking for new, break into the industry. You had SBJ that was kind of playing in that middle space uh, where, you know, their mid-level sales and marketing guys are attending their conferences and that type of thing. But no one was really playing at that high level. Nobody was really talking to team owners, league commissioners, and network and agency heads. That was attractive to me because, uh, you know, ultimately if I was able to build this thing out and get the ear of those people, um, there's a business above and beyond uh, just, you know, selling digital advertising, which, you know, as we're seeing right now is, is probably not a sustainable business model. And so those companies that I mentioned, you have the front office sports, the SBJs, their business models are predicated on, you know, sponsorships, which is, is, is tough right now and award shows and, and that kind of goofy stuff, which I'm not really a big fan of. Uh, I always thought there was an opportunity to kind of play at a higher level, um, subscription and I come from an equity research world uh, so I, I'm, I'm you know big proponent of data research and that's a great business because you can write it once and sell it a million times so I, I really was was interested in playing at the top level so from a content perspective I wanted to write content that would be interesting to team owners and league executives and um, and, and the most influential people in the sports world and that's really when I sit down people ask me well how do you determine what you're gonna write on a day-to-day basis and ultimately great content that um you know is going to appeal to that audience. that's the filter i'm putting it through got it and so tell us about the build you know you're here now you're on sports illustrated and um people you've got this uh, significant email database now but how did you build it and and what were the key milestones along the way for you yeah so it's not you know people ask me you know how it's, it's not something you can growth hack that's for sure um it's very much one one um, it's if, if I can, it, it's very word of mouth. It's it, so, um, I'm like I said, I if one of the huge advantages that I have, one of the reasons that I like email as a distribution channel is because I'm able to see exactly who's reading. And so, 
you know, especially early on, I would be following uh, who the daily signups were. And I would I would take the email, plug it into my Google and see if the guy's name popped up and if he was anybody that was, um, you know, somebody I should be talking to or, or, or know about. And uh, I would do a little bit of research. And if they had read the email a couple of days in a row, I would reach out and introduce myself. And before you know it, I had, you know, kind of another trusted source. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of how I went about building it very much one by one. There's no, you know, growth hacking. You can't just, you know, get a list of, you know, billionaire team owners and, and you know, upload them into a database. It just doesn't work like that. And so, how, you know, how did you get to a point where you knew that you could make a living of doing this, right? Like, because as you're starting up, that's a lot of sweat equity you put in. What was, what was kind of like a key milestone for you? Well, so initially, I didn't really... Initially, when I started, I was doing this as a side project. Um, I was still working full time in equity research, and so there wasn't it, it, the the goal initially wasn't to make money. The goal initially was to put out good content that an influential audience would want to read, and then I could figure out how I'm going to monetize that later. Um, and that's kind of what I did for probably a year, year and a half. Um, finally, I got to a point where it was just you know it just became too much to balance both, and I, t- I kind of took the jump. But really early on, um, one of the key milestones was I got Bro Bible to syndicate our work. And, um, you know, Bro Bible is certainly not the necessarily the target demographic, but it's guys that like sports, it's guys that like business, it's guys that like finance. And I was able to, more than anything, gain some credibility and was able to open up some doors. And shortly thereafter, uh, Bleacher Report agreed to do the same. And so I had a couple of big outlets that were willing to push my work. Um, aside from the credibility standpoint, it also gave me motivation every day because I knew people were going to be reading it. It's really mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. to write, you know, at the beginning, if you have a newsletter audience <laughs> of 50 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I knew that this stuff was going to be syndicated for Bro Bible, and that I could get, you know, 10,000 views in a day, all of a sudden I was like, well, let me write something. Let me write something that was going to be really good. So, um, those were two really big critical milestones, particularly early. They allowed me to to kind of you know build an audience. Obviously, I was able to pick up a lot of subscribers through those channels, and and then you know ultimately it just became a like I said, it's it, you know kind of a one by one type thing. As we talk about building that audience, I think one of the things that the, the path you're going down was just kind of that trust and of of network that you build and 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 people that help you along the way because they respect your content. So maybe you could share a little bit about, uh, you mentioned maybe Joe Favorito and some other people in your world that, that helped along the way. Yeah, I met Zell really early on. Um, before, before I ever really started writing John Wall Street for, for Bro Bible or Bleacher Report or any of the other kind of outlets that were syndicating, um, I had reached out to some people that I thought were pretty influential in the space. And really, I just said I had written 20 or 30 stories just to kind of see if I had anything. This was something that people would want to read. And I sent him along to people like Joe. And Joe was one of the few who got back. And he said, not only do I think you have something here, but I think I know how to execute on it. And if you kind of are willing to follow my guidance, I'll point you in the right direction. And, you know, I certainly knew who he was and his reputation. And I basically said, you know, lead me. And um, and he did. And uh, that was maybe the most critical point for me, uh, especially early on, because he was able to make a lot of high-profile introductions. And again, the, every high-profile introduction kind of opens a door to another one. And so 
you know, getting in front of, of some influential people, getting some influential people to talk and, and to be part of some of the stories and, and, and share some insights, uh, you know, kind of led to some other influential people reading. And, and like I said, it just became very cyclical. So, uh, you know, finding a mentor uh, and somebody who's willing to, who, who, who understands the landscape and point you in the right direction, is, you know, is critical. And that was, was a huge point for me. Yeah, Joe Favorito, for those who may not know, listening is is a legendary PR exec in New York. He's worked with just pretty much every every sports media exec seems to, uh, to lead team seems to know him. He's got a huge email list himself, and and just a, a really influential guy in in sports media and communications field. So. Yeah I, yeah, I always compare him to Kevin Bacon because yeah. literally every single person is <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah, it, it's true. It's it's incredible, but it's I mean, it's a really valuable. I mean, there, there's there's this like club factor, right? Let's face it, like, and many people on social media are trying to get into that club and do that. And I think you hit on this. You were you looked and said, "Hey, look, I really want to find. I want to be talking at that intersection of business." of Wall Street and, and sports, right? John Wall Street, the name of your brand. And you did it one by one by building trusted relationships with leagues and team executives um, that gave you access to then, clearly you built um, a reputation around doing stories that no one else was doing, that people kind of turned to be like, huh, right? Like today, you did a story on MLS that no one else, you know, kind of where, where it's going, that no one else had, right? And so, it just it takes time, but there's also that that reputational relevance, right? It's kind of like you're in the club, but you're in the digital club. Whether it's people DMing you or sharing your stories, and and I'm curious what advice you'd give to people who aren't at the place where you're at in terms of, and they could be at large brands or mid-sized brands or small brands trying to trying to do the same thing. Hey, we found a, a void in the marketplace. We're creating content to fill that void, and we're kind of on the build. What, what advice do you give to them? To provide value. Um, really, that's that's the whole goal here. There's so many people that are, are in, the, in the media space that it's all about breaking news and being first. And, and I'm not trying to be first. I try to break some news if, you know, if it comes up in conversation, I, I'm happy to share it. Um, but really what I want to do is provide insight and context. And that's really what I think is just missing, uh, just generally speaking, in the um, just in the sports media landscape, there's there's a lot of people telling you the news. There's not a lot of people telling you why it matters um, or how you should be thinking about it. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of value in that. And um, so, you know, John Posner uh, is another guy who you know has been become a, a friend and mentor. Um, you know, says that the reason that he likes to read John Wall Street is because. Um, you know, he says, tell me something that I didn't know. You know, I want to, mm-hmm. I want to read something that I didn't know already. And, uh, and that's really, again, the goal. Uh, I'm trying to make people smarter and provide some real value. And, uh, and then that's why I think people read it. You know, I think the daily, um, I, it's funny. I sometimes equate in my head, you to the daily and, and from the following and the New York times podcast. And the reason I say that is just, they, they've had a pretty meteoric rise and they've gone really they every day they do one story and they go deep and so I'm curious um, like you do like you do right you're not doing 32 different parts of 32 stories you're doing one story and going really deep so I'm curious in the in a our cluttered email inbox world right and all the stuff that's going on how much of your success do you do you attribute to just that that simplicity of kind of that go deep on one story philosophy um, I, I will, 
I think that it, it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, if you're going to try to reach that super high level of the sports world and you're going to try to educate people on stuff that they don't know, these are really smart people. They're probably every single one of my readers is probably smarter than I am. So it's not something that I can just, you know, crank out in five minutes. I, there, there's research, you know, I need to talk to, you know, mm-hmm. and gain insights from people. Um, it's not, I mean, I wish I could do 10 stories a day. It's, it's just physically not possible, not the type of content that I'm trying to put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's part of it. I, I think the email distribution pl- as, as a channel has also been really helpful for me. I'm not sure that I necessarily knew that when I started, although I personally like let me rephrase that. I did know because I don't go and search websites. And I certainly don't believe that a billionaire team owner is waking up in the morning and bouncing around the internet. They just don't have the time. So putting something in somebody's inbox that they want to read every day because they know it's going to be informative is like a no brainer way to cut through. Um, I'm not asked people to find my story on a website or on a, mm-hmm. on, you know, on Twitter or it's showing up in the inbox and it shows up at 6am and, you know, I have team owners that are saying, you're the first thing I read when I open my eyes in the morning. And like, that's cut right through all the clutter, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Jumping in there. You, you beat me to the punch because I, I, I wanted to talk to you about the, the format, right? And there's, um, there's a simplicity, uh, to what you said, it's delivering, it's delivering to your audience where they are in their terms, which is kind of like, to me, one of the golden rules of, of content. It's not about getting it out there. It's getting to people in a way that provides value where they want it, when they want it, right? And so I, I feel that, and I'm not trying to pander to you, but I feel like emails had a moment, a resurgence, um, email subscriptions, you know, they're out there. They've been out there for a while, but when Facebook changed its algorithm in 2018 and the platform started going down the road of pay for play, right? Like all of a sudden it was like this whole it felt like a resurgence because it became the one medium that was, okay, it's truly direct to consumer. You're getting into somebody's email inbox. You can see if they're opening and reading your content, right? Like the technology exists. And so I'm curious about your your bigger picture perspective on, on email product in, in general and where it is and, and the value that it is in the marketplace. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's certainly gotten you know, much more popular since I started doing John Wall Street back in mid-2017. Um, but I don't think it's, I mean, maybe it is, but I mean, my inbox isn't, you know, flooded with email newsletters. I mean, maybe I receive five a day. It's not 50 a day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly manageable. And, uh, you know, there's ones that I read more than others. But, you know, when I ha- sometimes the headline will catch me and I'll, and I'll read all of them. Um I really like email as a distribution platform for the reasons that you mentioned. The ability to see who's reading, um, to see, you know, the ability from a monetization standpoint, obviously, uh, it's obvious, it's, it's, it, you know, open rates and, and clicks and, and emails are more valuable than they are on a website because you know who's reading it. So there's a lot of benefits to to using that as a, as a you know, as a channel. Um, and you know, I, I could see where, uh, you know, if people are subscribed to 50, you know, newsletters, it becomes overwhelming. But if you curate the, the, the ones that are good, um, you know, I think you can cut through a lot of the crap. I'm curious, where, you, where do you see the value um, from the marketplace, from a sponsorship standpoint going? You and I have had this conversation before, I think, where it's like, okay, 
you've got like a five fig a five figure email database, right? Of really influential people, right? High value and even more important relationships with a lot of them and built up trust. And to somebody who wants to market to sports executives, right? Whoever that may be, whatever brand, that give me that list over um, a brand that has an entity that has a million Facebook followers that are just general audience, right? But yet, when you and I talked a couple of years ago on this, there was still this is this was pre COVID nineteen, obviously. There was still that notion of like you got to be big enough to matter, as opposed to really looking at the value proposition of who you're trying to get to. Because getting to 100%. fifty, of, getting to fifty of your folks is better than getting to a million of irrelevant people. Um, just to get it in front of people who can't act on it. So where do you see that value proposition in the marketplace now? And has it changed in the last couple of years? Do you see it changing? That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I see it changing. You know, I see these, you know, these female influencers, beauty influencers, and they have millions of followers, but they're all guys and they're not buying their products. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, On the flip side, I always say, people say, well, how big do you think get John Wall Street. And I'm like, I don't, that's not the goal. I need 120 readers, the 120 pro sports team owners. If those 120 people read me every single day Mm -hmm. and I have those people's ears, there's no shortage of businesses that want to, you know, be a part of that and whatever that is, whether that's, uh, you know, subscription events, you know, sponsorships, whatever it is. I do think though that kind of just pulling all the way back to the beginning of the conversation one of the reasons that most of the high-level sports you know, audience doesn't read or care about most of the stuff that's put out is because it's not being told down the middle. Uh, a bit, an outlet that's reliant on sponsorship is not going to criticize the sponsor, mm-hmm. right, or, mm-hmm. or the sponsor's business. And uh, if you want that audience, the audience that I want to reach to read it, you got to give them the truth and you got to make it worth their while. And sometimes the truth isn't great. The truth right. can't always be great. Right. It's not. Um, so, you know, I, I think people get that with John Walsh. I used to, especially early on, um, I would get emails from, you know, I'd write a, a story and, and the PR people from, uh, you know, whatever league would, would send me a note saying, you know, a less than, you know, a note that they weren't particularly pleased with what I had written. And I'm like, we're not a PR outlet. Like our job isn't to make you guys look good. Um, you know, if the story is good, I'll tell a good story. If the story is bad, I'm going to tell a bad story, but that's why people are reading this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I'm lucky. I wasn't, uh, you know, beholden to sponsors. And so I was able to do that. And, it, you know, eventually it kind of, you know, it, it, even now I say to people like, you guys know the deal. You know, like I'm going to tell the story. If you guys want to share your side, I'm happy to listen to it, but I'm, I'm going to I'm going to tell people how I think it is and and that isn't always positive. So peeling the curtain back a little bit here in terms of the mechanics of an email and your and your audience how much are you looking at um, the open rates the feedback 
to to assess how are you assessing the quality of the content that you're doing to to guide you in a direction of what to do more of less of from your readership? I, I do, yeah. I read. The, I look at the open rate every single day, um, and we have a open rates like forty one and a half percent. It's wow. really really high, yeah. um, and it's really high considering who the audience is. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, if I get a, if I, if I see a, a newsletter that had less than like a thirty five percent open rate, I'm like all bugged out. Like you know, and 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 I know it's funny like there. I, I usually have a pretty good feel for what people like um, and what and what'll do really well. The COVID stuff has been super interesting. Like people have been have been gravitating to that. People love the stories that um, have to do with the startup league. So whether that's you know XFL or Big Three or mm-hmm. AIF, like people love that stuff. Um, you know, obviously uh, some of the you know when I do MLS and and uh, you know WMBA stories, they don't get you know maybe as many clicks because if it's in the headline you know people may turn away but uh, again i'm not i'm trying to the story is the the stories are meant to be written so that they're you know they're informative and educational and so uh a lot of what i do is identifying trends that are you know that are working that are not working and and so what one league is doing may be beneficial to another and i think that's again part of the value what i bring is there's so little idea sharing within leagues there's no deal, you know, idea sharing amongst leagues. So if I can kind of identify some of that stuff and, and, and tell people across all leagues, then I'm, then I'm serving a purpose that's, that's not currently being, you know, filled. Well, you're talking specifically about the value of niche, right? I mean, I am, I am of the find the niche within the niche, right? And I think that's what you've done. Really, If you can own that, you're going to be wildly successful. And, and I think um, I, I commend you for that because there's just this notion to get caught up in. Uh, how many people read it and all of this different stuff. It's like, again, if, if the right people are consistently reading it, it just opens you up to all kinds of new opportunities, right? And so I, segue to the next question. Um, I started Teamworks 20 years ago, right? Think about the evolution of, of content. And we launched, I launched this podcast. I, I learned by doing so. I said, you know what? I want to start having conversations like this and share them with my network. It's actually more efficient for me than having just dozens and dozens of phone calls. And I think I've been around the, the block enough to know that people care. There's enough people out there that care about the conversation that we're having right now. One thing I'm curious on though in podcasts is it's obviously exploded because low cost to entry, you know, any Tom, Dick or Harry like me can just can get, get on and, and, and talk to people. Hopefully I'm bringing value by the, the people who are a lot, as you like to say, a lot smarter than I am to the table. I'm curious about how you're looking at if you're looking at expansion and if you're looking at products, are you looking at podcasts? Are you looking at other ways yeah, to leverage absolutely. this? Yeah, I really like uh, podcasting as a format. I, I come from a sports talk radio background. That was where I started my career. So mm-hmm. podcast is kind of like on-demand radio. I really, you know, I like audio as a format. And what I do, there's a lot of like real-time reaction type stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think it's also missing in, in the space, just generally speaking, uh, you know, like Scott Soschnick and the Bloomberg guys, or formerly of Bloomberg, mm-hmm. um, you know, do a really good daily timely podcast. Um, but that's the only one, right. at least that I'm really aware of, that's, right. you know, really good and, and timely. And so, um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity in that space to, uh, you know, to jump on the horn when a big story breaks and, and kind of share some immediate insight. But, you know, again, <laughs> I'm not it's not a hot take platform. I'm not trying right, to, right. you know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, a lot of time, 
uh, goes into writing these stories because, again, the, the audience that I really want to reach, um, you have to bring something really strong every single day. Totally get it. Okay, cool. Uh, but you... yes, I do. I love. I love. Um, I love audio and, and in terms of product, I really am a big proponent. I mentioned of research. I think there's a real opportunity to, so I'm, I'm taking stories that are in the, in the news and writing, uh, you know, kind of a deep dive as to, you know, why they matter. But I think there's an opportunity to do kind of even, you know, longer form kind of macro research on, on various trends and, and topics. And I, I think there's a, there's certainly a, it's, that's certainly an underserved part of this of this little sports business world that we play in. Well, especially since you have such the relationships, right? I mean, there's a few sports owners, we all know who they are, that, that, that like the spotlight out there, that put themselves out there. There are quite a few guys that are very reserved that would be, the only time you see them is when their PR department's you know, making up a quote and running it by them saying, hey, this is what we're saying, you cool with that, right? I mean, that's the extent of some of these people. So to sit down with some of these folks and have real conversations there's complexity and nuance that doesn't fit into a one or two minute soundbite, and you've got a pretty sophisticated sports business audience like in your network. I think it would be a home run. So let us know. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that is, for me, the most fun part of the job is getting to sit down with these team owners and getting to pick their brains and hear their thoughts and debating with them. Uh, by far the most fun and rewarding part. Give us, give us one. Give us one. Give us one or two of your faves. Favorite conversations. Favorite, uh, favorite conversations, uh, or, or, or people, or, or or individuals. Um, who do, who who am I kind of who do I really like to talk to? Um, I'm a big fan of Ken Kendrick, Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, I really like uh, I really like Ted and Zach Leonsis. Um, I really like David Blitzer. Um, but just I mean, there's. You know, I, I think just generally speaking, um, you know, the more I do this, the the more people that I meet that are, um, you know, that have that have heard of John Wall Street, and that's obviously a huge door opening when I mm -hmm. when I meet them. So, it, you know, it takes sometimes people are excited to to meet me as 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 vice versa. You know, uh, I think it was last summer um, I was at the hashtag conference and uh, David Stern was speaking and. You know, obviously, I knew I knew David was a reader. I had, you know, seen seen him sign up and been kind of following that he'd been tracking it. And I always wear a John Wall Street hat. And um, I was kind of just waiting for him when he got on stage, and he was talking to somebody, and, and he saw me, and he goes, "John Wall Street," <laughs> like, and and you know that, you know, made my day. Obviously, and, right. and we built a really nice, you know, kind of friendship after that. So, um, that's a good yeah, story. Very cool to, uh, you know, to. To see people that I look up to that are reading this thing every day and, and, and know who I am and are willing to talk because of it. Awesome. So getting off of you back to the, the, the macro here for a second, where do you see the opportunity? Where's the white space for entrepreneurs in the investment community as we think about reentering live sports worlds and finally getting the key back in that ignition at some point here? What are you hearing from industry insiders? Um, well, I think social viewing uh is, is gonna be a, you know a big one uh we're talking about you I, I don't play esports i don't even watch esports i i don't i couldn't name a game besides fortnite and i don't even think they consider that an esport mm -hmm. um but uh, you know from what i understand don't tell zach uh, leonis that 
<laughs> yeah, no, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but from what I understand, um, you know, they're having full conversations. People are hanging out in, uh, you know, in a virtual environment and having full discussions. And um, you know, I don't know if you saw Travis Scott is supposed to have a, a some a music. You know, he's releasing some new music within Fortnite. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So like it's such an opportunity for more social viewing experience. Like the idea that you're watching a game, you have to go on Twitter and I love Twitter, but the fact that you have to use a second screen to have that social experience is just kind of wacky considering mm-hmm. the technology already exists. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that's certainly one, you know, that I think is certainly going to be, um, you know, infinitely more popular in the near future. Is it fair to say, and I, I referenced this before, but, uh, gambling's going to be number one. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I forget who I was talking to somebody, somebody recently, and they were like, "Listen, the truth between gambling or medical marijuana, I'm picking medical marijuana, um, yeah. just because you know, I'm really still out on gambling." Um, I was at a sports know, streaming conference in Atlanta in January with with a lot of the same people that are your readership, teams, leagues, media execs, presidents of media companies. It was scary. I mean gambling was the number one topic and it was clear that the sentiment among media companies there was we're in it we're going to monetize on it you know uh, we know the downside risk but the, the the money just seems to be too big it's it is scary we start looking at some of that technology can you imagine the the non-gambler watching i mean a sport like baseball where people are like why do i want to watch it's 6-1 in the seventh inning this is slow but you can double down on the next pitch over and over again. I it's just don't scary. believe that. I, I just don't believe that that's going to happen. Um, you don't. I, okay. I no. I don't. I don't think that the individual, the, the non-baseball fan, is going to start watching baseball because they could bet on it. Like if they wanted to watch baseball and bet on it, they could have done it offshore for years. Um, I, I think some of the in certainly you know when you have when we have the in-play betting, true in-play betting, where you're talking about the next. Pitch, and things like that. Um, yes, the you know if you look overseas, the numbers are huge. The gambling environment over there is different, though. Um, you know, you have betters here, but it's not ingrained into the culture like that, like it is in England. Uh, I, I'm not sure that the the I'm not sure that gambling is you know the end all be all um, and and going to. Uh, you know, make up all of, you know, I don't think this is replacing media rights as the number one revenue stream or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, certainly when it's more, when more legalized and, you know, company, yes, there'll be national advertisements. um, But I don't believe that people are going to be betting games that they be watching otherwise. Um, I just I just don't see that happening. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you uh, when you launch your podcast to get one of your owners on or media execs on and have that gambling. It's gonna be a great podcast, a fantastic one to dig in because we could talk about this for for hours. So um, it's I, I think it's gonna be fascinating. That there's just so much momentum in the hallways of those conferences when you're talking about it. It's it's it is scary though. It's it's. I'm actually watching a. It, there's actually an interesting trend going on right now that I'm gonna be writing about uh, in the next week or two where. People are pulling money out of these. They, people are pulling money out of casinos right now, sports books, mm-hmm. and closing their accounts because they're, you know, obviously like struggling for money in mm-hmm. the economy right now. Um, the question becomes, how do those sports books get those betters back? Yeah, 
It's a great um, question. And so it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, how much of the progress that's been made is, is lost. Um, and the other thing is, uh, with gambling, people line shop. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, and there's apps like, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the company Rovell works for. But the, oh, you know, Action Sports apps, Network. Action Sports Network. Where they literally will show you the lines for you know ten different companies. Like, I, I don't think there is any loyalty in gambling. Mm-hmm. You know? I, yeah, no, I agree. So, so you know, that's another that's another piece of the consumer acquisition puzzle that, like, I don't think that people have necessarily thought all the way through. Like, yes, we get these people signed up, but I mean, aren't they just going to bet the lowest line? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there. It's a complex issue. We got a lot of complex issues on the table right now. Let's find a fun one. I'm gonna go to an easy one. I call it morning musts. So since you are um, getting into some very high level folks' email inbox, I thought it'd be fun to hear. What do you do? Who's who do you let in from an email subscription perspective, and and how do you consume content? Walk us through what a morning must for you is. Yeah, so um, I I do breeze through a couple of the other sports business newsletters. Um, I do like hashtag and I read front office sports, um, mostly for the links. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I really like just the, from an aggregation standpoint, that helps me. Um, and then I'm a big Twitter guy, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, that's, that's probably the first thing I do when I pick my phone up in the morning is kind of go through Twitter and just scroll through and, and try to pick out some headlines. I'm kind of, I'm somebody who's kind of always reading uh, and, and kind of, my my wife gets you know drives her crazy but like i i don't like stories to kind of get past me uh or be late on them so um i have a lot of like notifications and stuff set up so i'm constantly getting uh i have google alerts for a couple hundred companies um so i'm kind of companies <laughs> yeah because <laughs> it's, 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 yeah it's not necessarily like you know media yeah. companies startups and things yeah, like that yeah. just trying to keep you know uh so like i'll get like a, an email once a day with you know all the all the mentions and stuff like that and just kind of breeze through it um but yeah i mean i read those couple i read something called the water coolest which is a uh oh, more of like that a, That's a good yeah water coolest is good. it's um it's like a it's like a market like a it, it's a market recap um uh, but it's written in a very like fun uh like light broy yep. kind of way uh very snarky uh so that's a fun read um but that's not a sports business one just uh if you just want like some market coverage yeah no, like that. it's great i just got turned on to the morning brew which is kind of a fun it's, it's very similar to morning brew yeah. um but it's a little bit snarkier and um a, a lot less you know a little bit more a little rougher around the edges which i like good good all right, final question for you. Uh, share your book stack. What's on the nightstand? What are you reading, or what's on the what's on the queue that you hope you can read soon? Um, uh, good question. Uh, embarrassingly, I don't have any books on the nightstand. Um, between you know writing John Wall Street, and I have a three year old. There's just not <laughs> a lot of a lot of time for books. Um, you know, I'm I, I would say I'm, I'm much more of a news uh, type of of reader at this point. I just don't honestly have enough time. I know it's embarrassing to say. No, it's not embarrassing. It, uh, when you're following 200 Google alerts, I, I can under, <laughs> it's, it's understandable. So yeah, I'm just more interested in in I I, I don't know. I just don't. I mean, I don't know even when the last time I went on vacation was like to sit on the beach with a book. I just I'm more of a like a day to day news kind of uh, reader than I am like a, a long form book reader. Favorite Twitter favorite new Twitter follower. 
for you? Um, follow follow you. That somebody or... that you're somebody that you're following right now. That uh, that's one of your go tos. Um, I really like Pat Crakes. I think Pat Crakes is a real grit is a mm-hmm. real fun follow. Um, you know, I think he's super insightful. Um, you got to think about Steve Espinosa is a real fun follow uh, because he's totally um, t- totally unfiltered, which you don't really get from media execs often. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think who else is. No, off the top of my head, that's, that's cool. a tough question. Well, I got a good follow for you at Howie Longshort. H o w i e l o n g s h o r t, also known as he is yes, he's also known as John Wall Street. So, uh, you can find Corey. Uh, you want to sign up for his email at si.com backslash John Wall Street. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Howie Longshort, um, and share the podcast. Patrick Ryan's another really good one, also. Uh, Patrick Ryan uh, from Event Elect is is he's got his finger on the on the ticketing industry, and he's always got some really good insights. It's a fun follow, and I, I also really like Dave Meltzer. Uh, I, I don't know if you're a WWE guy, but WWE like the business of WWE is fascinating, and uh, and Dave is is you know kind of the the guy in that space. Awesome. So there you go. There you have it. It's kind of. The guy who's doing all the hard work for us in the sports business industry, sharing some of his key contacts. Corey, it's a pleasure to have you on, uh, as always. Thank you, my friend. Of course. Anytime, Jack. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation, digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.